0: Welcome to Cars
1: Yeah, show number 583. A person with integrity will do what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Doug Prey. Doug, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: Oh, absolutely ready. Just uh Yeah, as long as it's not a roller coaster ride, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. I'll,
0: I'll try to keep it between the guardrails today. Doug Bray is the president of the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Company in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. There they supply the world with parts for the iconic marks as well as restoring Auburns and cords. It's a company his father purchased back in 1960 who moved it from Auburn, Indiana to an abandoned pickle factory in Oklahoma. Doug worked with his father in that business when he was 14 years old back in the 60s and stayed until the company closed in 1981. But being an entrepreneur, Doug brought it back to life. He's drilled oil wells, owned a drive-in restaurant, started a chrome plating business, ran a successful business restoring, exhibiting, and selling antique gas pumps. And in 1997, Doug made a U-turn and became a chiropractor, starting a successful clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Very interesting background, Doug. I'm excited to learn more about what you're up to. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment, to share a little bit more about your business, your career, and of course, your passion for automobiles?
1: Sure. Yes, I'd love to. Um, well, I'm only the third president of the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Company. Um, Auburn Automobile Company uh, was established actually in 1900, the oldest automobile manufacturing company in the United States, still in existence. Wow. Auburn owned Cord Automobile Company and also Duesenberg. During the Depression in the 1930s, Cord went bankrupt because of the Depression. Duesenberg went bankrupt because of the Depression. And then Auburn Automobile Company went bankrupt. All of these were totally defunct companies by the end of 1937. In 1938... The remains of all three companies was sold to a gentleman called Dallas Winslow, who bought defunct, bankrupt companies back during the Depression era. Mm. And he then supplied parts to all the dealers around the country and restorations up until 1960 when my father bought the remains of the factory and it was then called the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Company. Mm-hmm. So in 1960, I was 7 years old when dad bought the factory and I even have memories of him uh, of buying it, going to Auburn, Indiana and and purchasing 700,000 pounds of parts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I grew up in the in the car world. Yeah. Our everyday car was a 1937 supercharged Cord. So I I grew up uh in the business. Uh, I started out originally as a parts chaser, a gopher. I actually rode a a motorcycle back and forth to work. I got my license when I was 14 years old. When I was 17, I graduated high school and then became a full-time employee and actually worked on the assembly line, but not just assembly. I was the person in charge of building, making, chrome plating, and installing anything on the car. That was bling, that was chrome. So the windshield frames, the bumpers, the gravel guards, the door hinges, the dash panels. Wow. I not only made them, I had to get them chromed and I installed them on the car. So that was my job for quite a few years.
0: It's absolutely fantastic or fascinating to me because we all think about those great marks and we go to these car shows and we see them. And if you don't know the history of the company, when you find all this out, you just kind of go, whoa. That's incredible. And <laughs> to be only the, the third president of the company after all those years, even more fascinating. So we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you're doing today as we move through the questions. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah? So, Doug, take the wheel.
1: Well, you know. Uh, a success quote I actually got from my father, which he got from actually Rockefeller himself. Oh my gosh! Way back in in the um, the the forties, the story that he told me, he said that uh, a young reporter asked uh, Mister Rockefeller, says, "What is your secret for success?" And he goes, "Young man, that's real easy." He said, "When opportunity knocked, he said I jumped." And the reporter said, "Well, Mister Rockefeller, how did you know it was opportunity knocking?" And he goes, I didn't. I just kept jumping, <laughs> and I love that. And, and it's opportunity. When opportunity's there, you have to take advantage of it. And that's exactly what my father did in 1960. The opportunity to own the Auburn Corr Duesenberg factory came up, and he jumped. And I went with a borrowed twenty dollar bill. He bought a, a, an automobile factory. And all my life, when I've made deals, I make deals, I feel like um, I was very much taught that it's the art of the deal. Dad was a deal maker and a real trader. Mm-hmm. and when opportunity knocks i would try to jump and so i have made many 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 a deal on my own over the years and then even when the opportunity to take over the factory uh when my father passed away 5 years ago i mean that was opportunity and as a family we could have sold the sold the factory sold the property sold everything and and the family decided to keep the legacy alive and put me in as again the only the third president of the Auburn Cordusberg company so it was opportunity knocking and And I jumped, and here I am today. Well,
0: it's an awesome story, and maybe there's a little takeaway there for some of the listeners out there. I think that was a great question to that reporter. How do you know if it's opportunity? So for you, you've done a lot of different things in your life. What would be some advice for those young listeners out there, those entrepreneurs, or even somebody looking for a change in life? How do you recognize opportunity?
1: Well, that's the thing. I don't know that you necessarily do recognize opportunity, and it's like, how do you know it's opportunity? Well, you don't necessarily. You just jump. If it's something you love, if it's something you like, something you enjoy, then that is when, if the opportunity comes, then you jump. A good piece of advice, I think, is don't get into something that you don't know. Go Go for your own personal niche, what you enjoy, what you love, what you like. And if you always stick with what you know and what you like, then you can never be hurt. Because let's say I bought a bought an expensive car, and the idea was to buy it, fix it up, sell it, and make a profit on it well, what if it's a car you don't like? Mm. Uh And you get stuck with the car or the market fails. With me, I always buy what I like. And if the market falls apart or I end up too much money in the car, I still got the car. I still love it. I still get to drive it. I still get to go kick the tires. So So I think a good piece of advice is go with what you love. Find your niche and stick with it. Great advice.
0: Now, you told us about being 14, getting your license, riding that motorcycle back and forth to your dad's factory, the plant there. But Would you share a story that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment that you remember that you realized that you were a car guy?
1: Well, not even one particular moment, quite a few moments. Of course, like I said, I grew up in this. Uh, Even as a a kid in the 1950s, my dad was an automotive uh, school teacher at Central High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hmm. And he at I think I was three and a half, four years old. Dad built a quarter midget. Now this is back in the day when you know people didn't own race cars or quarter midgets; only rich people could have them. But he was very handy. He was very much a car guy, and he was an automotive instructor. And he built my brother and I uh, a quarter midget, and I've got pictures of me in it at three and a half years old. <laughs> and very and, cool. I, and I remember, I actually remember that far back driving that car. We had a lot in our backyard, and I was in that little midget quarter midget race car driving it around the backyard and i have been addicted to cars ever since i've had hundreds and hundreds of cars but and even now i've got a a small collection of midget race cars quarter midgets full midgets and then even uh big race cars so my love of cars started off with just little race cars and then it grew into classic cars and because of course the involvement with the auburn Disenberg company and that was uh uh, my dad's legacy, it's, it's just natural for me. We grew up again in a 1937 supercharged court. I was probably 16 years old before I realized you could get in a car without taking your shoes off because that was a, the stand, <laughs> standard rules in my family. Don't get in till you take your shoes off.
0: Oh, that's funny. Sounds like our household, too. <laughs> my kids, whenever our friends' kids would jump in the cars, they'd always say, be careful, don't scrape the door sills. My dad would get upset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah that's very much the way it was around my house.
0: Yeah, very cool. So Doug, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've been involved in a lot of things. You're a serial entrepreneur really at heart, I think and that comes with a lot of challenges and it comes with some failures. So could you take us to one of those challenges, one of those big failures in your life and your career and walk us through that, but the most important part of this is how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you so you can move forward?
1: Well, you know, and and failures, of course, that's always a part of being in business. I mean, there's the ups and downs, ups and downs of it. And I've tried quite a few different businesses in my life and I settled in with healthcare, which has been very successful for me. And I help a lot of people and I've written a couple books on nutrition and uh, all that part of it has been very successful with its ups and downs in it. But but if you'll talk about just a time of business I tried that didn't work mm-hmm. and then bouncing back from that was back in the days when I got into the oil business. And um, this was back in the, the 70s and uh, late 70s oil boom in Oklahoma was big and I'm very much an entrepreneur at heart like you said and I read a book once called The World's Greatest Gamblers and it was a book about the elite in the United States that had struck it rich in the oil business and, and if I had lived back in the teens or the early days of oil in Oklahoma I'd have been right in the big middle of it drilling oil wells but the price of oil had jumped up to almost $40 a barrel back in the back in the 70s and they were selling old what is called stripper wells. And Oklahoma, a stripper well is an oil well that used to be very successful but is down to only producing two to five barrels a day. So they call them stripper wells. But when the price of oil got up to $40 a barrel, a two-barrel-a-day well pumping 24 hours a day, seven days a week – You make quite a bit of money, especially if you own half a dozen of those wells. So I got the bright idea that I was going into the oil business, and so I bought a couple stripper wells in a small town outside Tulsa Hill here that used to actually belong to Sinclair Oil Company. It was uh, uh, one of the original early oil fields. I was making a little bit of money at it and decided, hey price of oil so high I'm going to start drilling some wells. Yeah. So I actually went into the drilling business and, and drilled a couple of oil wells. Had one of them that I actually thought was a gusher. It was uh, so exciting. You see in the movies you drilling oil well <laughs> oh, yeah. and the oil's squirting up out of the hole and it's going straight in the air under all this pres- pressure and it's natural gas pressure that's blowing it out. Yeah. And um, all the guys in the drilling rig, we got to get out there and cap it off and they're scared to get out there because of the natural gas, if it ignites, you know, you've got a pretty big fire. So I remember putting on a rain coke getting out there with a the big valve sticking it over the flow of oil screwing it on uh turning the oil flow off and everybody cheering and you know here i think i'm rich and successful and <laughs> yeah. i've made it and i've got a gusher it free flowed to the oil tanks for three days and then stopped Uh oh, and that was it ran and out of gas it it's ran sick. out it ran out and it was you know an investment of a you know about fifty thousand dollars at the time Mm -hmm. but a long story short i was in the oil business i drilled several oil wells made a little bit of money out of it but then the price of oil crashed yep and it dropped clear down to about ten dollars a barrel and so every drilling rig in the state shut down everybody shut down all the banks started calling in all the notes and I had probably written checks for close to a million dollars in this oil business and it all just disappeared. It, oh. ju- it just went away. The oil business didn't exist in Oklahoma anymore. Yeah. Everybody lost their shirt and here I am. Okay. I'm starting all over again. What am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and, and so that was, that was an example of a failure, but yet. It was exciting. I love that business. It's as much fun as I've ever had in my life. It was, it was gambling. It was being an entrepreneur. It was treasure hunting. You know, you're, you're hoping you'll strike it rich when you hit the oil. It went real well for a couple years there, and then it crashed, and, and that was the last of it. So then off on to the next deal, and, and that's what you do. And I think that's at the time that I was a young man. I actually went to work for a company here in Oklahoma extremely successful company the most uh, successful convenience store chain in the world which is called quick trip or qt here in tulsa does 10 billion dollars worth of business a year i went to work for them as a manager and got a paycheck and you know and was working 10 hours a day and and enjoying it and my father out here he said what are you doing working you know at a convenience store he said come back out here and run my uh, parts department so mm-hmm. i quit quick trip came back out to the factory started running the parts department and, uh, and then grew from there and then kind of the rest is history until years later, uh, we had talked about, I had always had a passion for healthcare mm-hmm. and had a really great experience as a, with a chiropractor as a kid. And I had a couple customers here that owned Auburn's that were very successful chiropractors. And I was going through a divorce at the time and I thought, Hey, I'm going through the divorce. You know, I don't have to keep doing it the way I've been doing it. Why not start all over again and do something different? Mm-hmm. So I, My wife, ex-wife, asked me for a divorce on my um, 38th birthday, Hmm. and I enrolled in college two months later, and four years and four months later, I had two degrees, a degree in biology and a a doctorate in chiropractic. It was eight years' worth of college, but I said, I'm too old to spend eight years doing it, so I went three semesters a year, or trimesters instead of two an average of 30 to 35 hours a semester i drove back and forth every weekend from tulsa to kansas city which is where the school was Mm -hmm. and four years and four months i got uh two degrees had um, uh, 360 credit hours and became a doctor and did it all very quickly and then opened uh, uh several practices in the tulsa area and wrote a couple books and wow still very much involved with what dad was doing out here at the factory but Five years ago when he passed away, again, I thought, well, hey, this is where my roots are. I want to keep the legacy of Glenn Prey and what he did with Albuquerque Duesenberg Company alive. And so that started my next next career back in the car business. I came full circle from where I started.
0: (laughs) You know, there are so many takeaways from this. But uh, one of them, of course, going back to your adventures with gas and oil is there's always going to be things you have no control over. We see where gas prices are today, where oil prices are today. It's a boom. It's a bust. I mean, that's probably where the term came from originally. Right. But mm-hmm. w- what's your takeaway for those entrepreneurs out there that helps you bounce back, go do something new? Is it just a mindset in your in your brain that, you know what? I can go do anything. So it eh, doesn't matter.
1: Well, very much my entire life, it's been in my brain. And I guess I've gotten you know, most of what you're hearing from me, I probably got from my father, But one of the things that I was very much uh, taught from from a young age is you will only lose when you quit, when you give up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the tenacity, uh, the vision to stick with something that seems to be impossible. Because a lot of times you've passed over the line between failure and success and you may not even know it yet. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep going, you make one more call, one more deal, that that it will all happen. And I very much believe that. So, you know, just don't give up, keep going with your passion, keep driving and it will happen. And I very much, and and it's a a part of my life. And I think it's an important part of maybe this interview is that my entire life, my dad very much taught me that it was business first. Business was first over everything. Family came second and, you know, and probably faith or religion or God came somewhere way down the line. And I, in my years over the last, so uh, oh, probably 15, 20 years, I've totally much, totally very much decided that, hey, no, my life is going to be God first, family second, business third. So as much as this is about business and how I love it and how successful it is, it is not priority in my life anymore. It is huge in my life. It's what I do and it's what I love, but I got to focus on my faith first, family second, and then this business. And when I started doing that, everything in business started falling in place. And so it's amazing when I quit pushing it and focusing on it so much, how successful I became.
0: Uh, Wow. Great stories. Great stories. Thank you. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It sounds like you've had a lot of career aha (laughs) moments. Yeah, just a few. Tell us about one in particular and the steps you took to turn that into a success.
1: Well, I think the biggest aha moment is that whatever you're doing doesn't have to work out exactly the way everybody else thinks it's supposed to work out. Were you satisfied with the effort you put into it and what you did and what you accomplished. And and so I look back on it and like, aha, you know, this, I, I get it. I had an epiphany. This is what it's about. And my biggest epiphany in my entire life was the moment that I figured it really doesn't matter. Just turn it over, surrender, do what you want to do, do what you enjoy doing, do with your God-given gifts what your talent is and it's not that important. It's not that important to be successful. It's it's just all about it's all about faith. It's all about family. Uh it's all about enjoying what you're doing and using the gifts that God gave you. And I think my biggest aha moment was just realizing that, hey, I don't have to do it all perfectly. Just use the gifts that I was given and enjoy life. And that was a, a mantra that dad had his whole life. He talked to all his customers on the telephone. And when he when he the last thing he'd say, uh, when he he'd get off the phone and it, and it's even quoted in in one of the books that was written about him, he always said, "The bottom line is, "Are you having fun and <laughs> if you're having fun then 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 go with it and boy, we're having fun here right now so. <laughs> very well
0: said, thank you. That's awesome now, how about proudest career moments again, I assume you've had many with all the different things you've done, but is there one that stands out for you that you'd like to share
1: well I, yeah, and I think it needs to be one that's probably based around auburn Cord Duesenberg Company. I've had some, you know, some tremendous moments in healthcare and, and some of the different things I've done and speaking engagements in healthcare, but I also do as many speaking engagements and talk cars and, and travel the country going to car shows and the car auctions and the swap meets and all that. And in the car world, one of the, the, the most exciting things, and it, and it was one of those things that I think showed me the way to the future was that in um, 19, and I'm I'm going to try kind to of give you the date pretty close 1969 1970 mm-hmm. i was working out here at the factory part-time and i was in high school and i was going to bow tech taking commercial art class And so i thought i want to be an artist and and my dad was a draftsman and a designer and really had a good eye and uh he taught me you know a lot about art and design and craftsmanship and One day I was out here at the office and dad got a calendar in the mail. And this calendar is a picture calendar, you know, like the ones you get that have different cars on every month. Yeah. And one of the, one of the pictures was from a 1930s Packard and it was a a dual cow Packard, two windshields, beautiful, beautiful design car. One of the prettiest design cars I'd ever seen. And dad pointed it out and he said, you know, he said, I've been building cords and I've been building Auburn's from scratch all these years. But he said, I'd like to build a car of my own design and I'd like to get a, a design patent, one that I designed, not a Gordon Buregg design, which was the original designer of Auburn Cords and Duesenbergs, mm-hmm. but my own design. And he said, I want it to be a dual cow car. And he says, I want it to look something like that Packard. And so he just said that. And that was, you know, his dream that he was going to design his own car and not just build other people's designs. Well, unbeknownst to him. At the end of that day, I took that calendar with me to my commercial art class the next day, and uh, and I dug through his file cabinet and pulled out his original draftings of the 866 Auburn Speedster that we manufactured out here that he manufactured. Mm-hmm. So I took his his original drawings of a Speedster, a Boattail Speedster, and I took this picture of a Packard, and I sat down at my desk at school and said, okay, I'm going to take this Speedster – cut the back half of it off, and basically design a rear half that looks like this dual cow Packard. So I did this picture in in pencil and drew this picture of a brand new design Auburn that was just a pencil sketch by a 16-year-old kid, but looked pretty good and pretty proud of it. And so the next day I lay it on dad's desk and he goes, what's this? And I said, I think this is what you want your uh, (laughs) new Auburn to look like. And he goes, you know, he says, that's right. That's what I want it to look like. He says, very, very good. And that was it. And it just sat there in the desk. A few weeks later, customer comes in to pick up his Auburn that he bought from dad at an Auburn speedster. And he saw my picture, my drawing laying on the desk. He said, Glenn, what's this? And he said, oh, he said, that's what I want my new Auburn to look like when I build the next one. And the guy goes, I want the first one. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And dad says, well, okay, take a $5,000 deposit. The guy left a $5,000 deposit, and so there it was. Wow,
0: your first car. (laughs) He
1: he, he, he had to build it. Yeah. The car wasn't, you know, it, it was a drawing from a kid. It looked pretty good. The drawing's actually in one of the books that shows it. And the car actually did turn out looking like my picture. But he said, okay, we're going to build this car, but it hasn't been designed, it hasn't been built, it hasn't been engineered. It's just, it's just a pencil sketch by a 16-year-old kid. Well, the big Labor Day weekend show in Auburn, Indiana, which is the reunion of, Auburn, uh, of all the Auburn Cord Duesenberg owners around the world show up there every Labor Day. They have what they call the Parade of Classics, and there's about 500 Auburn Cords and Duesenbergs in this parade wow. that go through Auburn, Indiana. And we go there every year, sell some parts, make some deals, sell some cars, um, and a lot of fun. Well, he said, let's take the very first Glen Prey Auburn dual cow phyton to Auburn. Well, how many days do we have? And it was 40 days. 40? 40 40 (laughs) days away.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And this is nothing but a pencil sketch. Yeah. So the, the story, and, and again, it's in one of, it's in one of the books, but basically to make the story, you know, fairly quick is that in 40 days, that car the tooling got built the body got built the car got built the entire crew working full time we worked night and day literally the last 10 days if we'd had the reality tv show cameras on us back then none of these shows today would even hold a candle to what we were doing then <laughs> but we were we were sleeping on the trim table working 24 hours a day now remember back then you couldn't just go buy stuff at the speed shop right if we wanted it we had to make it we had to manufacture it wow. rear windshield for a dual cow Phaeton. he takes a, a, a front windshield cuts it up bundles it up gets the exact shape that he thinks he wants the rear windshield to look like that we you know we're, he's designing it making it up as he goes he hands me two patterns and says take these to the foundry and don't come back till you've got them i drive to the foundry I say, we need two of these parts by this afternoon. I left him a a 24-back of beer. thought that might speed him up a little bit. (laughs) Uh, That afternoon, I went back. He pulls them out of the sand. They're still hot. He hands them to me with the hot sand on them. I come back to the factory, and then I'm the person that does all the chrome. So I grind them. I fit them. I drill them. I tap them. I install, install it on the car. Then I have to run into the chrome plating shop to get them chrome plated. I know they fit they look good. Chrome plating shop again took a little bit more beer. I need them in the next two or three hours. I sat there and waited for them. They got them chrome plated. I come back and we bolted the car and the rear windshield was designed, built, cast, machined chrome plated installed all in a twenty four hour period and so the whole car went together that way. We had to be in the parade by eleven o'clock on a Saturday morning at midnight the night before, the car still wasn't finished, it was up on jack stands. Guys were rushing around and trying to get it finished. We didn't even know what this car looked like that we were building. It was just going together with a full crew working around it. We drop it on the the ground at midnight and the front end sticks up six inches too high. They'd installed the, the wrong springs in the front. Oh. And so everybody's panicking. There's no time left. What do you do? Well, Dad, in his quick thinking idea, he said, hand me the torch. And he reaches under there and he heats the spring. He says, tell me when it's level. And the car drops as the spring gets hot. And he went to the other side, heated it up. And he says, okay, it's perfectly level. Now, of course, we had to replace those springs after the show. But um, it got the car set and level. We pulled it outside, pulled it up on an open trailer. We didn't even have an enclosed trailer. The whole crew stood back and looked at it and go oh my gosh what did we just build this is the most incredible design the most beautiful car we had ever seen in our life what we'd been working on we didn't know what it looked like now it was finished and there it was on the trailer it's after midnight we haven't slept in a week literally haven't left the factory and Me, my girlfriend, and dad hop in the pickup truck, the old Ford pickup truck, with this car on the trailer, and head to Auburn, Indiana to make it there in time for the parade the next morning. (laughs) So we're we're (laughs) driving all night. Of course, we don't stop at all. As fast as we can go, and of course, it starts raining on us. Well, a top hasn't been designed on this car. It's got a leather interior in it. And so we pull under every... uh, underpass or overpass my girlfriend and i would get out and we'd wipe the leather down and then drive to the next overpass <laughs> pull under wipe the leather down drive to the next overpass until the rain quit we're pulling into auburn indiana it's about eleven thirty. the parade started at 11 and we go oh we missed it we didn't make it we didn't make it in time for the parade and we're just really feeling dejected and we look up and we see the parade going by and I go, no, it's still going on, but we don't have time to get it off the trailer. It's covered with with rain and mud and, you know, it doesn't look very good. And so dad said, I'm pulling in the back of the, the parade. So he pulls in the back of the parade and the police is, is is at the rear of the parade. He's honking at the policeman to get out of the way so we can pull into the parade. We get out with our cleaning supplies while it's going through the parade at five miles an hour. We get out on the trailer with cheering crowds. We're wiping off the mud and the water and the dirt and trying to get this car cleaned up as it's going through the parade. We get it all clean. We jump in the back seat of this dual phaeton that nobody's ever sat in before. So my girlfriend and I are in the back of this on the trailer. Dad's driving it through the parade. He runs past the podium. Nobody knows what it is or even how to announce it. We pull it around the square of Auburn, Indiana where all the classics park and it's still on the trailer and a crowd forms around it. I mean literally there's a hundred people surrounding this. It. like what is this? They've never seen anything like this. We back it off of the trailer, pull it down and within the next two hours we take orders for six cars <laughs> the most expensive cars the factory ever built it was a success we built the cars so designed engineered built and delivered to our first show and made six sales all in 40 days and 40 nights holy cow it was done i mean it was a real deal i mean exciting and i still get goosebumps thinking about it to this day on What an incredible adventure that was to be able to watch that happen and be a part of it. And I only wish that we had had the cameras on it and it had been a reality TV show because people wouldn't believe what went on in trying to create a car from scratch in just 40 days. But we did it. Oh, my
0: gosh. What a story. Holy cow. That's incredible. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's have some fun here. Could you share with me your first really special car, maybe a memory you have of that vehicle?
1: I don't know if it's embarrassing or not, because I guess it's not. My very first car was a 1963 Corvair Monza. Oh, cool. Paid $300 for it. Brought it home. It leaked oil like all Corvairs did at the time. I learned to become a Corvair expert. I could pull the engine out of a Corvair in 35 minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can drop an engine out of a Corvair. Uh, like Corvairs, and, and Corvair became the car that, you know, when the first— what we call the little cord, the eight-tenths cord. When dad started the entire uh, second-generation car craze in 1964, he wanted to be front-wheel drive because the front-wheel drive cords originally pre-war, there'd been no post-war front-wheel drive cars made in America, and he wanted his new cord that he was going to build to be front-wheel drive. Well, the only American-made engine that had a transaxle was corvair so they scaled the size of the original cord down and put a corvair engine in it so i always had a love affair with corvair from the start dad bought a brand new turbocharged corvair spider off the showroom floor and it did a ralph nader on him he actually uh, hydroplaned and at 90 miles an hour rolled it and flipped it and it was only a week old oh god um but uh still i've had a lot of corvairs corvair was my very first car don't have one right now. Our family car was a four-door Corvair. The new cords, we built 97 of those here, and they all had Corvair power. Uh, we did some of the turbocharging, some of the four-carburetor jobs, some of the two-carburetor jobs. But anyway, and we buy and sell those cars today. We're kind of the, the historians, and we keep that alive, too. So Corvair means a lot to me, from the fact it was my first car to the, the very first second-generation car was built with a Corvair engine. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that's kind of fun. A- now, my second car, I bought a brand-spanking new car, and I don't. I'm gonna make payments. Payments were fifty-six dollars a month for three years. And and don't tell anybody this, but I went down and bought a brand new Gremlin X off the showroom floor. <laughs> <bar. laughs> a green you went Gremlin. from
0: a Corvair to a Gremlin. Oh my <laughs> gosh. To a, a
1: green. So when when you know here I'm a car guy and I'm dealing in you know half million million dollar cars and some of the most beautifully designed cars in the world and and I feel like I have a very good eye for design. But when I go back and say oh, my first cars were a Corvair and a Gremlin, it's not you know necessarily that good of a start.
0: No, your credibility didn't <laughs> have a good start. Didn't? <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's funny well how about that car that you let go that you really wish you had back is I'm sure there's a lot you've had so many cars but is there one in particular that not so much for money reasons but for emotional reasons you wish you had back
1: well I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one when I was a young man uh, went on my first date with my wife in it paid a thousand dollars for it and it was factory matching numbers back then we didn't know about numbers or anything but when I look back on it was, um, a convertible had a piece of duct tape on a tear in the top, but it was an original 71 SS three ninety six uh, Chevelle mm, convertible. Yeah, sure I enough, mean, it sure. was like, it was, it was the, it was the big deal of the day, you know, fast, but thousand dollars burned a little bit of oil, had a hole in the top, but I loved that car sold the car for a thousand dollars to a friend of mine. And, um, followed that car and saw that it sold for a little over a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars oh gosh
0: yeah another amazing story well how about current projects what are you doing today that really has you excited and fired up
1: well right now we're doing a 1930 model 125 auburn cabriolet which is um 28 29 and 30 auburns were all basically the same body style and then they switched body styles from 31 32 and 33 and again in 35 and 36 34 35 and 36 but this is a very special car it's a it's called a big eight they made one with a, a long big eight cylinder engine and, and longer wheelbase and they made the small eight well this is the big eight it was kind of the ultimate of the day dual uh it's not a dual cow, it's a cabriolet with a rumble seat and we're going to build we're restoring it right now to a Pebble beach quality. We're just really doing this car to just a hundred and ten percent original. Nothing that was on the car then we won't put on it now. It's exactly the way it was, even to uh when we paint the, the frame, Pebble Beach cars typically would have this incredibly beautiful filled frame and glossy black, and uh, we very much know we're going to be 100% original, so you paint it chassis black. It's a little bit dull. It's going to be perfect paint, but it's, it's going to be the way it was in 1930 when it was born, but done to what we consider it's perfect because we can do it to this day. So I'm in the middle of that project. I've got quite a few projects for customers. We found the number 69 Auburn that was built here at the factory by Dad. We're repainting it for a customer. It's going to go to Denver. It's almost finished. It's leaving here in a couple of weeks. We have a 37 uh, matching numbers supercharged cord that we're restoring right now. It's going to be all black, uh, supercharged outside exhaust, incredibly beautiful car. I've actually, when I counted them the other day, of how many projects I've got going on right now, and I think it added up to 15. Oh, my gosh. So there's, fi- there's 15 projects right now, and I've got customers calling me and saying, hey, would you take on my project? I'm having to say no, I really can't just because I don't have the crew to get it out the door. I've got an extremely talented crew right. to to restore these cards, but you can just do so much. My fun right now is still the deal making, the buying and selling of the cards. A customer calls say I'm looking for this. I shop around, I find it for him, we may bring it into the shop sort it all out, sell it to a customer and then move on to the next deal. So my favorite part of this business is the deal making more than it is um, actually restoring the cars.
0: Walking in your father's footsteps. <laughs> yeah. Now here's a very introspective question, Doug. If you were a car, what kind of car would Doug be and why?
1: Oh my gosh, <laughs> if I was a car, what kind of car would I'd have to say it would probably be a nineteen thirty seven supercharged cord cool i mean if if you look at the windshield. It kind of it will remind you of me in my glasses. So I've got glasses <laughs> on. You look at that car, and you see a thirty-seven Cord. You go, Hey, that looks just like Doug Pray. <laughs> and and since I grew up with one, I grew up in the back seat of one. I've been around in my entire life. I'd say um, a thirty-seven supercharged Cord would have to be it.
0: There you go. Well, Doug, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's cars. Yeah, sponsors. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member Finra Sipic. Okay, Doug, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Buy what you like. (laughs) Restore what you like. Just keep it simple. Uh, And and I think that's it. If you're going to restore a car, make sure it's something you like.
0: Absolutely. You said that earlier because if you get stuck with it, you want to be stuck with something you love. That's right. Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years?
1: Yes, I think very much. I was given a quote by my dad years ago, and I want to operate with all my customers and all my friends and all my family and all the people I know with integrity. And I was given a definition of integrity, and I want to run my business with integrity. And the definition that I got from my father was a person with integrity will do what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it. Absolutely.
0: It reminds me a lot of that great saying: "Is always do the right thing, even when nobody's watching."
1: That's exactly right. Perfect. Do mm-hmm. you
0: have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you really enjoy?
1: My resource, always in the Auburn Court Duesenberg world, which of course is is our niche here, has been my father. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was one of the maybe the problems around here for me was I never really had to learn it because I could just go ask him, and he would always have an answer. He yeah. always had an answer, and he and he did. But I have created over the last couple of years a website, and it's the uh, Auburn Cord Duesenberg Company website. So it's acdfactory.com. That website is information based on what I learned from my father. And so when I'm actually looking for information, I go right to the source, which I on Auburn and and I go to Glenn Prey. And so uh, that website is, is a perfect website for somebody that's wanting to learn about Auburn and Cords. And then the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Museum website is absolutely incredible. Lots of information. And then the Auburn Court Duesenberg Club website, all tremendous information on these particular cars. And the details and mechanical part of it, parts, everything is all there in those three resources. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, those are all great resources. And, of course, uh, here on Cars Yeah, a past guest was Aaron Warkington, who's the curator at the Auburn Court Duesenberg Automobile Museum. All in good company. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read recently that you think our listeners would really enjoy cracking open and reading?
1: Well, I I love to read, and uh, most of the books that I read are usually automotive-related. Two different books written about us or about the factory here. The first one was written by Josh Mox, Mm -hmm. who was um, uh, probably the number one expert on cords in the world, passed away a couple years ago, and he's written a book called Cord Complete. So Cord Complete is this incredible book telling about the history of cord, all the way from E.L. Cord, when he took over the company in the 20s, all the way through to today. So Cord Complete by Josh Mox, but then Josh Mox wrote the book, the man who brought legends to life. Mm. And the man who brought legends to life was my dad. And so he did a complete history of dad buying the factory in 1960, moving it to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and telling all the history and all the stories and all the ups and downs and the rise and fall. And so that's an incredible book. And then the next book was written. as actually an autobiography. Dad told the stories in his later years to a local writer here. And, uh, it's called Glenn Pray. the rest of the stories. So those three books, all based on the factory, on Auburn Cord history, you know, they're all, they're all incredible.
0: Fantastic. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Doug has been so kind to share today at com slash Doug Prey, P-R-A-Y. Uh, he's got his own show notes page there with links. And there's another great place on the carjow yeah website called guest recommended books where these three books in the past 582 guest books are there for quick easy clicks to buy some great reading all right we are up to the checkered flag doug and i really like to say this to you this last question could be a real doozy if you could have only one collector car in your garage but this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other toys with i'm going to make you keep it and enjoy it but money is no object so take that out of the equation what would that vehicle be and more importantly why
1: well and that's a real easy one for me because it is sitting in my garage right
0: now <laughs> oh god and,
1: and it, it will never be sold but it was number 17 of the Prey auburn dual caliphate the very last car to go off of the assembly line here at the auburn Cordusenberg factory in 1981 dad had a heart attack uh, and decided to shut down production, sent deposits back, and the last car on the assembly line was an Auburn dual calphae. He himself personally built and finished the last car on the assembly line. And, uh, we still, we have it today. It's got about 6,000 miles on it. All my kids, when they got married, uh, left their wedding in the backseat with, with dad driving. Nice. Um, uh, the car will never be sold. Uh, the prices have gone crazy on those 17 cars, mm-hmm. but I, and that's a car. I don't care what you offer me. It, it will never be sold. And that's, that's probably the one car I will. We'll say that about
0: you know, I love it when my guests say I have the car because that means they have the car of their dreams, and it also means I don't have to buy them a car. So <laughs> that saves me a few bucks, but I'm so happy that you have that car, and the fact that the history with your family and your father, it is priceless, definitely priceless, so I'm so, so happy you have that car. Doug, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your family history. Man, we could talk for hours. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the CarShout listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your dad's Auburn dual cow, Phaeton?
1: Yes, very easy. Go with what you love. When it comes to cars especially, choose what you love, and that's what you need to do. So if you're a car guy, and it it may be Corvairs, it may be Gremlins, it may be Duesenbergs, but go with where your heart is and what you love, and then go at it 100%, and then the bottom line is have fun.
0: Spectacular advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your company?
1: uh acd is uh, got all the information it's got the links on it it's got stuff for sale um there's been actually three uh we've been on the american pickers episode three different times so nice. you have watch one of the american pickers episode that that gets you excited it gets a lot of people excited so yeah. and and one and they're all about the auburn cordusenberg deal and about the auburn history so there's some fun stuff there so chase all that down look at it learn about Auburn's records. join the auburn cordusenberg club come to auburn indiana for the big reunion join 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 us there on Main Street. Uh, We'll talk cars until the sun comes up.
0: I think so. Well, again, listeners, you'll find links to everything that we've talked about today on Doug's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Doug in the search bar and that page will pop right up. Oh my gosh, you're going to spend a lot of time checking out what he's up to. What a fun life you are having. Doug, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your incredible experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again. No, 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 no.